0: Most of us are very busy people, and most of our busyness involves important things. We're busy because we're taking care of ourselves, we're fulfilling our responsibilities, we're meeting our needs, and often we're busy because we're meeting needs in the lives of other people. Much of our busyness is very, very good, yet at times our busyness can distract us from what's truly important. The classic Bible story about busyness is the story of Mary and Martha, recorded for us in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. However, I think that there's more at work here than simply the problem of busyness. I'd like us to listen to this story as it's read and see if we can glean anything new from what's taking place.
1: Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her.
0: Here's the typical lesson that we take away from this passage. Martha is too busy. She's consumed by her busyness and it means then that she misses the opportunity to spend time with Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, does not allow herself to become become consumed by her responsibility. Instead, she takes a break from her to-do list. She takes the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. Now, all of this is true. And it's a lesson that we vitally need to relearn, because we are enmeshed in a culture that is consumed by busyness. In fact, our culture celebrates busyness. And yet there's another layer to this story, because beneath the busyness is the problem of pride. Martha becomes self-righteous about her busyness, so she makes herself, her work, and her choices the center of her attention. And so it's her busyness and the pride associated with her busyness that hurts her relationship with her sister and distracts her from spending time with Jesus. And when we take a look at the beginning of this story in verses 38 to 40, we see the problem of pride begin to emerge. And as this story opens, it's important for us to understand that, yes, Mary is busy, but she's not filling her time with busy work. She's practicing hospitality because Jesus and the disciples are coming to visit. This means that there will be more than a dozen people to welcome into her home and to feed. And it's to Martha's credit that she's willing to work hard to provide a neat house and a good meal for her guests. She's getting some things done, and in most cases they would be very reasonable things to do. In this case, though, she makes the wrong choice. You see, she can't distinguish between the hospitality of doing and the hospitality of companionship. And on this night, with Jesus coming to visit, the priority is companionship. The priority is to spend time with Him. So tonight, the house doesn't have to look perfect. And the meal can be good but simple because the goal is not to enjoy a food feast at the table. The goal is to enjoy a spiritual feast in the presence of Jesus. Martha gets it wrong. At the outset, though, she doesn't yet realize this, so she assumes that she's made the right choice. And we all know how dangerous it is to make assumptions. Well, that's bad enough, but Martha compounds her mistake by getting angry at Mary. Mary's made a different choice about how to invest her time that night. For Martha, though, Mary's choice is not just different, it's wrong. And this is where pride begins to creep in. Now, to get a grasp on this, I'd like us to try and imagine the scene. Let's picture ourselves there in that home in first century Israel, the home of Mary and Martha. And Jesus is in the room there and he's speaking to his followers. No doubt he's teaching them some things about the values and the principles of the kingdom of God as he usually does. Jesus would be sitting down and the disciples would be sitting around him, some of them on chairs, some of them on the floor. And Mary is right there. Mary gets herself close to Jesus sitting at his feet. Mary is eager to listen and to learn like everyone in that room Except for Martha. Martha's not sitting. She's scurrying around managing the details. So she's probably tidying up the house and she's tending the food on the fire and she's making sure that the table is set so everyone has a place. And as she moves around taking care of the tasks that she has made a priority, I can just picture her looking over at Mary. Mary who's sitting still imagine Martha looking at her with a growing scowl on her face. Getting increasingly upset with Mary's inactivity. Allowing the frustration and resentment to build within her. We know what that's like, don't we? We see someone doing something that we don't like or disagree with. And we start to just (sighs) get all resentful. We may not say anything at first, but we have that little conversation going on in our head. And we're saying things to ourselves that really don't help. They just throw more fuel on the fire. Now, however it happens for Mary, she eventually reaches her boiling point. And then she speaks up. Yet she doesn't gently pull her sister aside for a private conversation. She doesn't walk over to the door and go, Psst, Mary! Come over here, let's chat for a minute. Instead, she makes a public scene. And when she does, things go from bad to worse. I spent a lot of time pondering this passage during the week, and I realized that there are at least five bad choices that Mary makes. And most of them are shaped by pride. Now first, when we have a problem with another person, the best way to resolve that conflict is to go directly to that individual. The worst thing we can do is to talk to someone else about it who's not directly involved because we create a messy communication triangle. And you and I often do this in our own relationships even though we know better. And Martha should know better but she makes a major relational mistake. Instead of talking personally with her sister, she drags Jesus into the issue, and she even acts as if somehow it's his problem to solve. This clearly is not going to help the relationship between these two women. And that's just the first bad decision that Martha makes. Second, she speaks publicly to Jesus about this in front of the guests. All that's going to do is humiliate Mary. The only reason to do that is to build herself up at the expense of her sister. And third, Martha makes herself the center of attention. It's true that her words are aimed at Mary, but it's really about her as well. Martha wants everyone to know just how hard she's working. And fourth, Martha implies that her choice is right and that Mary's choice is wrong. Even worse, she doesn't want to discuss these differences. She just wants Mary to submit to her choice. And yet Mary's behavior is not immoral or unethical or illegal or ungodly. So there is no valid reason to simply dismiss her actions, her decisions, as worthless or wrong. And this is a really, really critical point for you and I to grasp. When we condemn the decisions of another person without making any effort to understand why they've made those choices, then we are acting with incredible arrogance. And I wish we could get a handle on it. Because this kind of attitude is so rampant in our culture today. This kind of attitude permeates our world and it's at the root of so much of our public discourse. And it's at the root of so many relational difficulties. And far too often politicians and commentators and citizens and believers, we've stopped trying to understand other people who make different choices than we do. We've stopped having conversations. And instead, like Martha, we just make pronouncements and we issue demands. We're not interested in what other people think because we know we're right and they're wrong. You know, we can be convinced we're right and yet we still can listen to others. We still can try to understand them. And when we don't, when we adopt the attitude that Martha demonstrates here, we are letting pride drive our behavior. I think Jesus expects us to do better. As his followers, we can make better choices. We don't have to be like that. And then fifth. Fifth. When Martha talks to Jesus, did you notice that she doesn't ask him what he thinks? She just tells him what to do. Jesus, you need to do what I want and make my sister do what I want. Wow. That is so audacious. How can Martha do that? She only can do that because she assumes that Jesus is on her side. And that's another dangerous assumption and it's one we sometimes make as well. We reach a decision without consulting with God and yet we assume that God will agree with us so we tell him what we want. Oh, that is so arrogant. Martha has made a series of bad choices. Given number of bad choices she's made, given the pride that she's displayed, given that she has the audacity to tell Jesus what to do, we might think she deserves a big smackdown. And yet, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. I find his response amazing and compelling as we see here in verses 41 and 42. Look at these words. Are they harsh? No. No. Are they judgmental? No. They're gentle. Oh, Martha, Martha, Jesus says. Despite Martha's pride and despite her public criticism of her sister, Jesus doesn't jump all over her. He doesn't say, how dare you tell me what to do? He could, but he doesn't. I find myself wondering what I would say, or you would say, if we were there, and if Martha had come to us. I think we might be tempted to respond with anger or belligerence. I think there might be some heat in the way we respond. It's a very common human thing to do. And any of us can be prone to behave that way, but, but I hate to say it, we men are particularly prone. To respond to other people with anger when we don't like what they're saying and doing, when we think they're wrong. So Jesus' response here is powerful. He shows us that a real man does not have to be harsh, a real man can be gentle. Let's remember Jesus, Jesus wasn't a wimp. He was physically strong. He was trained by his dad to be a carpenter, and that was an occupation that took a lot of physical strength. He had to be able to lift heavy lumber and then work the wood with primitive manual tools. There were no screw guns or drills or belt sanders. Just very basic hand tools. Accompanied by lots and lots of physical labor. Jesus was a very strong man, yet he was very gentle with the people he loved. He was gentle because he knows that harshness and anger so often are counterproductive. He knows that harshness and anger so often push people away, and by gently correcting Martha, he has a much better chance of drawing her in. He's gentle because his goal isn't to win the argument. Or to score points, which so often is our attitude and the way we approach conflict. Jesus wants Martha to learn and to grow. He wants her to lay aside pride and embrace some humility. He wants her to be able to see that she made some poor choices so she can learn to make better choices. He wants her to realize that Mary actually made the best choice. And that's what Jesus is now going to point out as he continues to gently correct his friend. And so here here in verse 42, Jesus is continuing to speak to Martha, and he follows up his word of correction by explaining that Mary did the one necessary thing that night. And the one necessary thing was to spend time with Jesus. Everything else was secondary And as we see in verse 39, when Jesus came into the house, that's when Mary made the choice not to help Martha. Now, for all we know, Mary might have been helping earlier in the day, before the guests arrived, but, but when Jesus shows up, Mary sits at his feet. Because above all things, she wants to spend time with him and learn from him. I find myself wondering how Martha would have reacted when she heard these words from Jesus. I'm sure they pierced her heart. probably was very painful to realize that Jesus did not agree with her. Jesus did not take her side because her attitudes and her actions and her decisions were wrong. We're not told here in this passage how Martha reacts, but, but I hope She embraces some humility because if she does, then she can admit to Mary and to Jesus that she was wrong. If she embraces some humility, she could publicly apologize to her sister. and I know that Jesus would have welcomed such a humble response to his gentle words of correction. You know, it's interesting that Jesus never directly speaks to Mary here, and yet he commends her. He holds her up as the right example because of the choice she's made. And the right choice is the humble choice. Mary acts with humility because she's more concerned about her time with Jesus than with the details of the meal or the appearance of the home. And she doesn't seem to care whether or not people think she's a good hostess. She recognizes that time with Jesus is precious, and that enjoying His presence is an opportunity not to be missed. Jesus Christ is there with her in her home. Mary can prepare and enjoy a good meal anytime, but sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from Him, oh, that is the real feast. And this wise choice, this humble choice, enables Mary to be enriched by having Jesus in her home. What a contrast with Martha, who's anxious about having Jesus in her home. Martha is troubled, while Mary is content. Mary is content because she chooses to make Jesus her priority on this very special night so she doesn't get distracted by details. She doesn't draw attention to herself. She just sits quietly, feasting in the presence of Jesus. Now, you may have noticed that I titled this message, Prayer and Feasting. But you also might have noticed that prayer never even is mentioned in this passage. You might be wondering, is he nuts? Well, no, I don't think so. I actually do think that there's something we can learn about prayer from this story. And this becomes clear if we ask a simple question How do you and I follow the example of Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus? We do it through prayer. Mary was privileged to have Jesus physically present with her. We don't experience his physical presence in the same way. And yet we can make the same choice Mary did. And we can sit at the feet of Jesus and we do that each time we pray. And yet... When we make that choice to be with Jesus, then we face the same challenges Martha faced. The problem of busyness and distraction. And like her, I am sure we can justify all the things we do to fill our schedule. Like Martha, we might even become prideful about all that we have on our plates. And prideful about the way we're fulfilling our responsibilities. And we can let all of these things distract us from meeting with Jesus. We need to make time during the week when we can lay aside our busyness. When we can lay aside our pride and perhaps it's pride in our busyness. And instead set aside time to simply soak in the presence of Jesus. He wants our time with him to be a spiritual feast and yet it won't be if we're distracted like Martha. It will be we sit in his presence like Mary, eager to learn, eager to listen, eager to simply be with Jesus. I want to encourage you to find time for Jesus this week. Find a place where you can sit in quiet and visualize Jesus. Imagine Him there with you. You're sitting at His feet and imagine Him being physically present with you. Then open your Bible and read a passage and pray and share what's on your heart with God. And then don't rush away. Just sit. Sit quietly in an attitude of prayer. And listen for that small, still voice of the Holy Spirit to see what He might say to you. And yet, even as we try and do something like that, distraction comes in. It is so easy to get our minds off of what we're trying to do. Our minds oftentimes become aflame. And sometimes it happens for me, I'm trying to pray, and all of a sudden the to-do list pops into my mind. Don't forget to run that errand. You've got to get ready for that meeting later today. And on and on and on. And it can interrupt and even corrupt my time of prayer. That describes you. If when you try to pray, your mind keeps up bringing things you feel you have to do. Here's a tip I learned from a friend. Whenever he sets aside time to meet with Jesus, he lays a big pad of paper next to him. And on the top of it, he writes in large letters, For later, after I have met with Jesus. And he reads the Bible and he prays and then a thought will come in about something that he needs to do. He just quickly goes over and he writes it on that sheet so he won't forget about it. Knowing he won't forget about it reduces his anxiety. As he writes that down, he sees those big letters at the top of the sheet reminding him that this moment is for Jesus, not for busyness. And then he steps back into his time of prayer. It's his way of managing distractions. So that he can enjoy his time with Jesus. Because he doesn't want to be like Martha who was ruled by distractions. He wants to follow the example of Mary. And just soak in the presence of Jesus. And the reality is this. There always, always will be other important and necessary things to do in our lives. Yet sometimes those necessary and important things must wait. They must wait so that we make time for what is most necessary. To sit, to pray, and to feast in the presence of Jesus.